You are listening to the Alive Youth Podcast. Alive Youth is the youth ministry of the church at Osage Hills in Osage Beach, Missouri. We invite you to connect with us on our website, aliveyouth.church, on Instagram, at HeyAliveYouth, and on Facebook, Alive Youth. In today's podcast, you'll be challenged to grow in your faith, and we hope you're encouraged, too. Now let's hear from our youth pastor, Jeron Humiston. So we are uh, starting week three of our series tonight on identity, and so I want to dive right in because I want to spend some time here, but then I want to give you guys plenty of time in your tribe groups to dissect and discuss. So um, this, this whole concept of identity is not a struggle, right? Like we all have struggled with identity, so it's not like we have to try to figure out what identity is. I feel like that's pretty easy, right? Like, it's not something where you have to define what identity is and then do a lot of back work. Like, if I say identity, you're like, yep, I know what that is. I know that I struggle with it. I'm not sure how to answer that question. But here's the deal. We've all asked the question at some point, what is my identity? What is the value that I have? What do I have to offer? What can I bring to the table? Do I matter? All of those questions are questions centered around your identity. And here's the deal. They're good questions to ponder. They're good questions to ask. The problem is, is when we don't think critically, like with our brain, then usually what happens is we find the quickest answer to that question. And that answer usually revolves around parents, friends, and you. You define, your parents define, or your friends define your identity, your value, and your worth. But we have to have a proper understanding on what identity is. We have to have a proper understanding on the value and how important identity is. And so that's what I want to look at tonight. That's what I want to talk about tonight. Tonight's going to be hopefully more low-key and relaxed than usual. But um, how many of you uh, know if I say any of these three names? Just raise your hand if you recognize any of these names. David Dobrik, Kylie Jenner, PewDiePie. Okay, you recognize those names. All the adults are like, what are you talking about? Jaron, what are those people? If you were to group them all in a category, what are they? Correct. They're influencers. They're influencers. They're people who influence either beauty products or brands, um, everyday life. Uh, They influence things. Now, here's the deal. Um, Influencers, that's not a new concept. The way that your culture right now um, consumes that type of technology is vastly different. Like, David Dobrik is giving out cars and money like crazy, and all he does is post vlogs on the Internet. Kylie Jenner, granted, has a famous name and some beauty products, but she gets paid millions of dollars to post things on her Instagram. PewDiePie is another YouTube star. Just people recording their everyday life, going about it, who have influence over you, your culture, your generation. But it makes me wonder, as I sit down and I scroll through Kylie's Instagram, or I watch David Dobrik's The Vlog Squad, 
Um, it makes me wonder if we as a group had the kind of influence that they did, how radically different we could change people's lives because we have something that they don't. We don't have the money, we don't have the fame, we don't have the prestige, but we have Jesus. We have the hope of Jesus that neither one of those three or anybody like them have. They're not the only three influencers. In fact, influencers aren't just your generation and your culture and on the internet. Influencers transcend time. They, they, they transcend history. I mean, we have influencers that go all the way back to the beginning of time. So David Dobrik, Kylie Jenner, PewDiePie, anybody like that, they're, they're not reinventing the wheel. They're just reinventing the way that you consume their product. We have, we have influencers that have changed history. We have influencers that is, have changed uh, music. We have influencers that have changed culture. And if you roll back that, uh, that kind of time frame far enough, you're going to find that there were influencers in the Bible. Probably the best influencer is Jesus. I know, anticlimactic, but influencer. But here's the deal. Um, before I get to that point, I want to establish something. Um, you and I have this intrinsic value uh, built in us where we want to matter. And some of the drive behind our struggle with our identity is we feel like we're struggling to matter. We feel like we don't really have a direction or a purpose, a reason to be alive. The reason you hate school, most of you, is because it doesn't really give you any sort of direction on the rest of your life. It's something that someone tells you you have to do. But the things that give you direction, the things that give you passion, the things that energize you are things that you act differently towards. You make time for them. You choose to do those things. You choose to, uh, to participate actively in those things. The reason that we continue to struggle around this, this conversation of identity is because we don't know who we are. As individuals, as a culture, we don't know who we are. Because we're so busy letting others define who we are. When, when we started... Uh, youth this year, uh, and we looked at our slacktivist um, conversation that night, one of the biggest takeaways from that night was we are all active participants in bringing the kingdom of God to earth now. That going to church and living a good life doesn't make you a Christian, but that it is an active participant lifestyle of what it means to be a Christian. And we talked, when we started this series, we talked about knowing whose you are, right? Knowing that you belong to someone. That's not language that we like. That's not language that we use. But you belong to someone. You have a creator. And that creator is God, and he defines your value. We talked about last week how God would never short sell you. He would never discount you. He would never cheapen you. So I've got a little bit of a tongue twister that I want the whole night to focus on. You ready? Three things it's easy to remember. When you know whose you are, you know who you are. 
And when you know who you are, you know what you should do. You don't know what to do because you don't know who you are because you don't belong to anybody. Some of you walked in this room tonight and you got up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you hated everything about what you saw. You have no value or self-worth. You, you don't honestly believe that you have anything to add to the world around you. Some of you walked into this room or know somebody at school whose life is falling apart because of a medical illness, whether it be cancer or something that just popped up. Your world, their world is falling apart. Some of you are in the midst of your parents getting divorced or separated or you just came out of that, that messy situation. And in all of those things, those things affect and have influence on the way that we view God. And even more than that, they have influence on the way we believe God views us. And when we feel and we believe that we have no value, then we discount the creation that God created in you and me. And we see hard things in life as punishments because we don't, we can't ever do anything right. We can't ever succeed. It's just another person in your life that's punishing you. But let me flip the script and, and ask you this. If we go back to Bible times and, and we establish that Jesus is an influencer because he changed culture, he changed life, lives, he had something to offer that, that, that created change. If Jesus was an influencer, then did Jesus have a perfect life? He lived a perfect life. Yes, he lived one, but he didn't have a perfect life. Because just like Jesus was an influencer, there were people that had very specific, very wrong, but very specific ideals about what they thought Jesus should be, what they thought the coming Savior should be like. Jesus shows up on the scene, and everyone's already trying to establish what they believe the Savior is going to be like. He's going to be king of the Jews. He's going to be authoritative. He's going to come from this, this very priestly, this, this very high ownership level sort of government where he has all kinds of power and control to change lives. That's the way that he's going to influence the culture. Is he's going to walk on the stage already with power and authority in his hands and he's just going to start dictating and doing whatever he wants. And Jesus shows up on the complete opposite end of how the world thinks he should operate. He shows up as the son of a virgin. He is a lowly carpenter by trade. Does he do miraculous things? Absolutely. But he doesn't begin to come close to what the world defines who their savior should be. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but we find this really interesting story in uh, John chapter 1, 45 and 46, it's the story of Philip and Nathaniel. Because even in this conversation, we realize that they were so confident that Jesus was going to come from some place of power and authority that in this interaction, we find out that the place that he actually comes from, they think has no value. In uh, verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, in the Old Testament. We're now in the New Testament. We're talking about the Old Testament. 
and of whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Philip says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Does anything good come from there? And Philip said, follow me, come and see. So let's establish this. Jesus lived a perfect life. You and I are not perfect. Jesus had people telling him what they thought he should be. When you and I walk into a situation that isn't all perfect, that isn't all peachy, that isn't all rosy, when we're walking through divorce, whether it's our immediate family or a friend's family, when we're walking through health issues, whether our immediate family or a friend's family, whatever it is that we are walking through, why is it that we immediately, why is it that I immediately run to, I'm angry at God or God is angry at me because my world isn't all perfect and hunky-dory the way that I wanted it to be? Because I've allowed the world to influence the way that I view God. And I've allowed it to influence the way that I believe God feels and views me. That I have no value, that I have no importance. That, that God didn't send his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and me, to pay for our sins. But here's the deal, remember? Active participant lifestyle that we've talked about for weeks now? Watch this. In Luke uh, chapter 9, 23 and 24, Jesus is speaking, he says this. Then he said, then being Jesus, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, that, that word disciple is the same word as follower, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And here's one of the great many mysteries when we sit down as students and open the Bible and begin to read. What in the world is... What does Jesus say? Like, does Jesus want me to kill myself? Like, is that where we're going? Like, is that what he's honestly asking me to do? That's not what he's asking you to do. What he is saying is that as an active follower of Jesus, that your life stands in opposition to God's. That your life wants nothing but selfish pleasures. That from the moment you get up, your, your mind begins to to connive and think and strategize and plan about how you can get, sorry, <coughs> how you can get what you want. Sex, money, fame, drugs, alcohol, relationships, prestige, whatever it is, that is the way that our bodies begin to work. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my follower, then every day you get up and one of the very first things that you do is you die to yourself. You stop the fleshly desires of wanting what you think is a perfect, cohesive world. Well, God, if you would just keep my parents married, then I'll never sin again. God, if you would just heal my grandma or my grandpa of cancer, then I'll never sin again. God, if you just do that, and we begin to treat God like this genie in a bottle. Like we, we rub the Bible or the lamp, and, and we, we get our three wishes, and then we make some sort of deal with God. What Jesus is saying is that every single day you get up and your entire life is focused on, on wanting what God wants, of having the same heart and desires as God. Some of you have been given gifts and talents. Some of you are very athletic. You're great at sports. 
uh, I can't hold the ball without looking like an idiot. Not my gift, not my talent. Um, this is why I don't play sports. This is why rarely I even play nine square because then you'll, you'll see just how bad at sports I am. Because I would be the one that would like tear an ACL or break a bone just by like jumping for a ball. It's not good, guys. It's bad. Some of you are very academic. Again, not me. I was like an average C minus student. Like C minus was uh, A plus for all of you smart people. I was just glad to get through college. I was like, yes. That's not me. I'm a geeky, techie choir kid. I was in show choir in high school. Loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I love theater. L love, still love theater. Love plays. Love musicals. And I am the guy that can fix just about any technological product that you have. I am the person that everybody calls when something doesn't work that has electronics, a battery, and a power button. But here's the deal. When I get up and I wake up and I go, what does Jerron want today? Then by the time I go to bed, what I want is selfish, and it only pleases me. You want to know what I wanted today? You ready for this? You want to know what my days consisted of wanting? I got up this morning. I didn't want to come to work. I didn't want to be here. I want my daughter here. I want my wife to have a baby. I didn't want to be here. The only place that I wanted to be was either at home watching Netflix or in the hospital. That's what I wanted. When I came into the office, I was not looking forward to youth tonight. I, I was very lethargic. I had no passion to get ready for, for youth tonight. It took me four times as long to work over my notes as it normally does. I didn't want to be here. And by the time that tonight is over, I will leave this room being frustrated because the talk didn't go the way that I wanted it to. You guys weren't quiet long enough. My message ran too long. I had no I, And I'll lay my head in bed frustrated by the things that I wanted and that were my, what I thought were good and desires in my heart. Am I going to have a baby? Absolutely. Is it going to happen on my time? Absolutely not. Is every Wednesday night going to go the way that I want it to? Never in a million years. Is every student going to get the most out of everything that I say? No, they're not. Am I, am I going to love my job every single day that I want to be here? No, I'm not. But when I get up in the morning and I realize that my job as a follower of Jesus is to be an influencer and to die to myself, then it changes the way that I perceive the day and how the day goes moving forward. Um, you're going to find out something very creepy about me, and this is how it closes tonight. Um, I think about death a lot. I'm one of those weird people that death doesn't freak me out, like, at all. In fact, I've had lots of conversation about dying and death. I'm a very weird, twisted person, okay? Now that we've established, some of you are like, yeah! The rest of you are like, creeper! Um, I... I think about this a lot. I think about my funeral a lot. Don't ask me why. I'm not sure. It's weird. But I think about my funeral all the time. I think about a couple things. Um, I think about who's going to show up to my funeral. I think about what's going to be said at my funeral. And I think about what's going to happen to my wife and my child, or if I have more than one children, but here's what I want, more than anything in the world, and, and this isn't just because it fits in the night. This is honestly my heart's desire. If, if I send you guys home tonight and you go back home and I stay here and I close up the church 
and whatever time it is that I get my car and go home, that something catastrophic happens and I'm killed in a car accident. This is what I want. I want people to give one hour of their time to show up to my funeral. Not for my sake, because for two reasons. One, it means that I had an influence in their life. And two, I want them to show up and support my family who's left behind. And I want people to say this about me. I don't want them to say, oh, he lived a good life. He had lots of money. He had a nice house. He had a great car. He had a wonderful wife. He had great kids. More than anything, what I want is I want people to sit around and tell stories about how I was influential in their life. Because I followed the Lord's leading and prodding when he said, you need to text that student. You need to reach out to that student. You need to hang out with that student. You need to spend time with that family. I've texted three people this week in our student ministry. Hey, just checking in. My hope is that that meant the world to them. Not because it boosts my ego, but because I want them to see Jesus through me. I want to be an influence in people's life that continually point them to Jesus. That's what I want. I want when you leave here, I want you to have fun. I want you to, to hang out with your friends. I want you to get shoved up and hyped up on so much sugar because uh, Ron doesn't know the meaning of not bringing sugary snacks. And you leave here and your parents are mad at me because you're bouncing off the car doors and it's like 1030 and you're like, I can't go to sleep. I'm not tired, mom. Leave me alone. I got one more. Like, that's what I want. But more than any of that, I want you to have conversations about Jesus. I want to poke and I want to prod and I want to frustrate the living daylights out of you because I want you to grow. This is not babysitting time. This is not boys and girls club. This is not an afternoon hangout. Remember, the reason that this exists is so that every Wednesday night, our job as leaders is to continually point you to Jesus. That's it. From the time you walk on campus to the time you leave. We play games because it's okay to be a Christian and have fun. We sing songs, even though they're not live, because singing worship opens a door into heaven and allows God's spirit to inhabit this room. We teach and we engage in tribes because I don't think to learn something, it does any good for someone to scream and yell at you for 20 minutes or 20 minutes and 48 seconds. I want to be an influencer. I want my life to have more and mean more than some dude up on a stage that people just are annoyed by. That's what I want, more than anything. My question is, what do you want? Are you okay with just coasting by in life? Are you okay with waking up every day and doing whatever you want to do? Or do you want something more? Do you want the kind of influence that a follower of Jesus has when they know whose they are and they figure out who they are, then they can use their gifts and talents to glorify God and not themselves?
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Alive Youth Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. If there's someone in your life who needs today's message, be sure to share it with them. If you're in 6th through 12th grade and you live in or around Osage Beach, Missouri, we invite you to join us Wednesday nights, 6 to 8 p.m. at the church at Osage Hills. Don't forget to connect with us on our website, aliveyouth.church, on Instagram at Hey Alive Youth, and on Facebook, Alive Youth.